how about we don't try and make food perfect because it's not perfect, just like life's not perfect. If you're recycling, that's awesome. But you also need to look at all these other pieces and you don't have to be doing them perfectly. The first step is reduce, then reuse, then recycle. They are in order. Get inspired by people fighting to make this world better for everyone. This is Unwasted with Imperfect. Hello and welcome back to the Unwasted podcast. It's my honor every week to talk with experts in food, health, sustainability, and generally making the world a better, tastier place. Today, I'm joined by two entrepreneurs who have made a career out of taking a bite out of food waste. They're two of the founders of Misfit Foods, a company that started out selling juice made from ugly fruits and vegetables, and today sells meat and veggie sausages designed to help omnivores eat less meat and more veggies. It's a quirky and inspiring story, and I'm excited to dive in. Phil and Dave, welcome to the podcast. Riley, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure to have both of you here. It's always exciting to have a two-guest podcast. I just feel like it's a little bit more energy, more dynamic, get some better banter. So I'm really stoked to have you two here today. Let's just start, you know, chronologically here at the beginning. How did Misfit Foods get its start and what were your goals when you started the company? Yeah, love it. Double the trouble. And and first off, before we dive into the Misfit story, it's probably worth pointing out, whether it's a disclaimer or otherwise, that Dave and I both had Imperfect and Misfit for lunch today. Um, so <laughs> yeah. definitely, we've definitely got the dream team here. Um, and yeah, as far as Misfit goes, Riley, as you pointed out, you know, our mission is to to fight climate change with delicious food products. And so right now, what we're making is a sausage that's half chicken and half veggies, uh, but got our start doing something quite different. Um, so as you pointed out, we were making cold-pressed juice out of fruits and veggies that farmers couldn't sell to the grocery store. And we actually started doing that in my college kitchen, again, out of this desire to, to have an impact on um, our food system and therefore climate change. Um, and you know, at hand, we had our farmer's market. Uh, and so my co-founder and I went to that farmer's market and asked a farmer if they had any peaches they couldn't sell. Uh, they had like a hundred pounds for us and uh, we were really off to the races. Um, but as you can tell, it's been a long and winding journey. So, you know, in going from juice to sausages, I think it's really been helpful to have that North star and saying, Hey, you know, what we believe in is that uh, food can have an impact on the climate. Uh, and so much has changed over the last few years, but uh, that certainly stayed the same. Awesome. I love it. that, uh, And I love that it started with, honestly, a very similar question to Imperfect of, of just looking at, hey, that looks like there's there's surplus of the ugly uh, and different looking stuff. Is Can you sell this? Can we help? It just it's, it's always amazing to me how some really awesome organizations and businesses start with really seemingly basic questions like that. Like, hey, what are you going to do with those peaches? Like, but if nobody asks them, you know, or groups like you never get started. Totally. Yeah. And, and we're definitely, I think, of, of a similar mind in that. And, you know, I think for better or for worse, there are so many, I think, problems and opportunities to be worked on in our food system. Um, so I think if anyone can take anything from our story, it's that, hey, I think, you know, really ordinary people can, can do amazing things in the food system. Absolutely. Definitely echo that. You know, so as you as you talked about, you had a pretty significant pivot in, in the business terms, uh, part way through your life as a company. So can you walk me through like, how did you go from being a juice company to a sausage company? And, you know, what was that like, you know, from an operation standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, and kind of, I guess, maybe we should just start with though, like, what spurred the change? How, what, what made you decide we need to make this pivot? 
For sure. I mean, first off, going from juice to sausage probably isn't the most intuitive change <laughs> that you could think of. Yep. Uh, and so honestly, it's probably easier to start with like what stayed the same. And again, it's really that, that you know, anchor in that, um, you know, fighting climate change through food products is what we've set out to do and, and is the real reason why Dave and I are sitting here today. Um, you know, frankly, building a company is really hard. So if you don't have that strong purpose, then it's almost like why bother? Um, so that's kind of the first thing that stayed the same. And then the second is, you know, this idea of a misfit ethos, which is to say that, you know, we see the value in, in doing things differently in food and in life. Um, and so, you know, in the first few years of, of building up our juice business and selling to stores, we were kind of following this conversation on meat consumption both as consumers and also as professionals in the food industry. And kind of what we noticed was that, you know, this problem is a really, really big one, but the solutions that we were seeing coming out looked really similar, which is to say, you know, vegetarian alternative protein products. And we started wondering, Dave and I are both omnivores, like why aren't there products that, you know, better mirror how we're eating? Uh, why are there only like meat or veggie options? Uh, and so kind of in combining that anchor of climate change and the misfit ethos, saw this chance to kind of meet people in the middle, if you will, and, and combine meat and veggies. And kind of as we were figuring out how the sausage gets made, we realized that actually there are a lot of similarities in, in juice and sausages in terms of like using veggies and, and branding a product uh, that has veggies. So, um, you know, pretty unintuitive combination, but somehow we've, we've found a way to make it work. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, well said, Phil, but, uh, you know, I think one of the big components um, of that tr transition or pivot um, was really like we feel pretty passionately about community entrepreneurship and that, you know, it's just not two people in a garage, you know, solving these big problems. It's really a larger community. And so really when, you know, we have always understood that, you know, Misfit, Misfit Foods is, you know, larger than Juice, uh, you know, have we had a big vision and continue to have that um, big, bold vision. But we are also very inviting of our community. That could be, you know, peers in the CPG space. It could be, you know, people are just interested in food and entrepreneurship, you know, customers, you know, friends, family, all of that kind of that wider community of ours that we just really invited into the process. And so while Phil said, hey, you know, we're omnivores and, and we were following that conversation, I think the wider, our wider community was also fine following that conversation and kind of, you know, realizing, hey, you know, where do I fit in? I'm, I'm different than these two kind of, you know, ends of the spectrum. And so, um, yeah, we really involved um, our community and we actually sort of formalize that involvement in what we call the odd squad. Hmm. And so we have a group of, again, our community that, you know, does a lot of kind of, you know, tastings and surveys. And, you know, we talk to them all the time about what we're doing, what we're thinking about. Um, it's this awesome kind of just, I would say dialogue and conversation. And so they were a big part of, you know, Hey, we see an opportunity. What do you guys think? And people really kind of contributing to that instead of sort of a closed off, um, you know, product development um, process. That's so cool. And I love that term, the odd squad. You're, uh, and yeah, that community involvement piece is, is really important, I think. And 
Yeah, the opening opening up to the idea that it, it, you know it's beyond just you two. Like other people might have really interesting input on where you know the company can go, and that's really cool to see that. Yeah, it is kind of uh, zooming out. It's kind of a quirky pivot, but it does make sense when you keep the bigger mission in mind of how can we through diet affect climate change. And obviously, you know, so so many of us are hearing about meat consumption and the environment lately. I think it's for good reason, making a lot of headlines. Mm-hmm. Um, can we start with why is it important to eat less meat uh, for the environment? You know, for those that don't quite know, or maybe are used to just eating a lot of meat, like what are some of the environmental downsides of high meat consumption in the U.S. and globally as well? Yeah, really good question. And I like to zoom out to that um, as well. I mean, I think just kind of the headline is, unfortunately, you know, meat is just a more resource intensive and environmentally impactful um, food than plant-based foods. And so, you know, again, kind of broadly speaking, like, you know, in general, it takes more land, energy, and water to produce to produce a pound of animal protein than it does to produce a pound of plant protein. So I think just in general, that's um, the understanding. I think another like really interesting component too that, you know, as I started to kind of understand my own diet um, and yeah, relationship with food and eating habits, all of that, as well as kind of the research on, you know, what an average American does is that we also consume a lot more protein than is needed. Yes. And we specifically consume a lot more animal protein. And so, you know, the average American eats roughly 90 grams of protein per day, um, which is almost double what is required. Hmm. And, and, and two thirds of that protein is from animal products. So, I mean, right there, you know, you kind of touched on meat and why less. I think that's a big kind of thing that stood out to me is why less. Um, And honestly, just to make that even more tangible of like, oh, what is 90 grams? What is two thirds? Basically, an average American eats an extra chicken breast per day than, than what they need. And so to me, that's just like a really big and and powerful thing that both I learned and and really realized in kind of what I was eating. Um, And so, yeah, I think that those are kind of the big headlines that that we really internalized both through our own experiences and sort of, you know, digging deeper into the, the literature. That's yeah, that's super impactful what you just said, especially about the protein bit. That really resonated with me. Uh, yeah, I've done some digging into protein as well, and it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I have yet to find research that the average American is not getting enough protein, despite almost every package these days seems to be like protein, 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 like get your protein, as if there's some shortage. And yet all of the medical literature and the journalism I've read has said that it's kind of the opposite. Like you said, we're, we're probably eating too much protein and definitely eating too much uh, animal protein, you know, for the planet and for, for our health. So it is kind of this weird disconnect between our, our dietary behavior and kind of what the best practices are saying. There's mm-hmm. another piece that I think kind of ties to your mission I'm curious about, which is, you know, as I understand it, there's also this fallacy that like, eating animal protein is the only way to get complete proteins that as I understand it, you know, eating a wide range of different fruits and nuts and vegetables and grains will get you all of the different amino acids you need. So this idea that like the only way to like get your even rounded all American protein is a chicken breast is itself kind of ludicrous, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I think one interesting thing that kind of, I think, is a part of that conversation is that, you know, every person uh, is different, kind of almost bringing it back to, like, Misfit uh, as a brand, too. Like, we just really understand that, you know, like, one thing for everyone isn't, you know, kind of the way that, you know, our bodies work. And so, yeah, I think that was... Yeah, really enlightening for myself to understand, like, how do I individually fit into this conversation um, and everybody sort of having all of these options? You know, as Phil mentioned, like, you know, the 100% meat option, the the 100% veggie option, and, and just having more to address, you know, yeah, where people are individually. Yeah. I think that's super, super important. You know, could you elaborate a bit on this philosophy you have that seems central to the the product you have right now is of why is it so important to market to omnivores? Like what about omnivores is it that you think is, is central to advancing this mission of a kind of climate friendly diet? Yeah, I mean, it's a super good question. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, in short, it's just where most Americans are. Um, and I think another sort of like powerful learning again, that like I felt personally and that, you know, our team and our kind of the, you know, the odd squad community really felt, but then was reinforced by, you know, some stats and literature is that, you know, really, um, two third or what we learned was that two thirds of Americans have tried to reduce their meat consumption in the past three years but only 9% went vegetarian. And so what that really kind of, again, sort of like validated sort of what a lot of people are feeling in like our community was that, you know, most people are trying to eat less meat. Most Americans are. Um, but um, the majority are still are not giving it up cold turkey. Um And so I think this, you know, like marketing towards and really understanding omnivore is like, hey, we're the majority of Americans right now. Um, And I think uh, another note sort of in this kind of marketing and with our products that I think is important to talk about as well, that I know that, you know, there's probably a lot of listeners who are vegetarian or who are vegan. um, And we are certainly not trying to persuade any of them to eat more meat. Um, we've, you know, fully support that choice, um, to be vegetarian or vegan. Um, but yeah, this is a product for people who do eat meat, but an easy way to eat more veggies. Yeah. I like that principle of meeting people where they're at. I think that's, that's kind of a commonality I've seen in a a lot of folks that have founded, you know, a mission-based company or organization is you, you do have to start with meeting people where they're at, you know, like people, consumers and just everyday folks don't respond well to being lectured or told like you need to eat or do this. But if you make it this fun thing that kind of fits into stuff they're already doing, it's a lot easier to get people on board. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned, sorry, go ahead. Or I was just saying, I think that, you know, kind of even brings, comes back to our misfit is the misfit brand of, you know, everybody feels misfit. We don't think that, oh, only this separate group or anything like that. But we really feel like that's something that everybody identifies with. Yeah. You you mentioned some research you had done internally to try to figure out more about the consumer. I'm kind of curious to hear more about that. I think, I guess what I'm thinking about is, you know, meat these days is pretty polarizing. Like it, it can get almost like political in terms of like no meat, some meat, more meat, less meat, protein, like people get 
kind of, uh, yeah, they get intense about it. It brings up a lot of intense emotions about the environment, about culture and diet and what's good or bad. Um, you know, what, what, what did your research about uh, consumers tell you? Like, what, what did you learn about how people in America feel about meat today? Yeah, I mean, good. Uh, another good question. And yeah, something that I think that is an ongoing conversation. Yeah, what people think and feel about meat. Um, uh, I think that, you know, that's something people revisit often regularly. Um, sometimes every time they go to the supermarket. Um, or order from imperfect. Um, but uh, yeah, I think in our own research, um, we sort of, you know, and not to kind of be repetitive, but we found that, you know, just in general, people were actively trying, again, the most, the majority mm -hmm. of people were actively trying to eat better meat and less and less. Um, and so we found that when we, you know, we had done some shopping, you know, supermarket exercises where we went shopping with people on the odd squad and just kind of, you know, let them do their thing and, you know, just peppered in some questions as to why they were making certain decisions. And, and that's where I think we kind of understood that, yes, people are making decisions every time they're purchasing a product or, you know, having a meal. Um, and yeah, specifically around meat, you know, we really saw that desire to eat better, um, and to eat less of it. Um, so yeah, we saw that play out in day, honestly, day-to-day -day interactions, but is also in kind of like surveys and, and research. Interesting. That's, that's super fascinating. This idea that maybe the uh, flexitarian or lessitarian or, you know, whatever term is going around these days, that that is actually a surprisingly common mode of eating. I think, I think that might be kind of lost in some of the journalism. I feel like you hear all these headlines that are like, like no one should eat meat or like meat's actually not that bad. And I guess what all that misses is in the middle, there's a lot of folks trying to eat meat less often and, and better quality, like you said. And, and yeah, that's revealing, I think, of where we're at right now as a society. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and we found that as well. It, you know, it's not necessarily consistent from meal to meal. Hmm. Um, and a lot of it does have to do with, you know, what op options are available to you. Yeah, definitely. You know, let's talk about the sausages themselves for folks that might not have cooked with a, an omnivore sausage like this, you know, it's part meat and part vegetables, you know, are they different from sausages from standard sausages when you cook with them? You know, what are they like in the kitchen? Yeah, really good question. And um, it's fun to talk about. I think that's like a really fun one as well, because, you know, sausages are, are so versatile as a form to begin with. Um, and then obviously you throw in our, you know, misfit sausages that are half humanely raised chicken and half vegetable. So that is, yeah, obviously that's different. Um, when you get into the kitchen, I mean, I personally like really feel that our products are great for cooking with like a meal, tossing in a meal and, and kind of getting creative with flavors. Um, you know, we do have three flavors. Uh, we have a kale, citrus kale and chicken chimichurri sausage. We have a sweet potato and chicken andouille sausage. And then we have a, a gold squash and chicken sweet Italian sausage. So there's a a number of different flavors there, but um, when it kind of comes down to it, it's super versatile. You can throw it in a spicy mac and cheese, and that gives you, again, some something more than kind of the pasta and the, the creaminess. Um, 
I, I really like to make kind of like an egg breakfast casserole with the, ch- the kale chimichurri flavor. Um, Yum. Yeah. So just like an easy way to inject, I would say like more flavor, more variety um, into, into a kind of a, a fast meal. Awesome. Definitely. Phil, what about you? Yeah. What are some, what are some of your, your favorite ways to cook with these? Oh my gosh. I mean, definitely plus one on, on Dave's. And I have to say that I think uh, Dave's suggestions were a product of, of misfit of the misfit team's collective experience cooking our sausages. Uh, and yeah, I think for me, it's just like, look, my, my ambitions as a cook are lofty, but my skills are definitely humbler. So <laughs> I think the idea of elevating a really simple meal with, um, yeah, like vibrant and, um, vibrant flavors, flavors and nutrition is, is like where our sausages shine. Um, so huge fan of mac and cheese. Uh, there definitely are unnamed members of our team who have microwaved the sausages and eaten them straight like that. Uh, so that's certainly an option for the minimalists, uh, among us. Um, but I, I think the, the simple meals elevator are great. Yeah. And, and one sort of unique thing I, I feel like I've noticed with our kale um, chimichurri is that, you know, if you cut it up into rounds or even take it out of the casing and, you know, cook it like on a cast iron and get it crispy, you kind of can smell and taste and feel the way that like kale would crisp, you know, if you were to like um, also cook that on a cast iron. So mm. because there's so much vegetable in it that, you know, yeah, it does take on some properties um, of those vegetables, which is really exciting. That's super cool. Also, I think as a way to, uh, I guess, socialize kale, which can kind of have a mixed reputation. Like some people just really don't care for it. But I think you bring up a great point that, you know, mixed with the right spices or other ingredients or yet even the right texture, you know, getting it a little bit crispy is actually a way to make kale a lot more palatable than I think, you know, folks that have just had it like chucked in a salad, totally raw. It's like, it, it, it can be hard to love. Uh, so I love that idea of just socializing vegetables a little bit differently, you know, giving people a different look at, at vegetables they might have otherwise maybe dismissed. Yeah, actually, one of the uh, sort of groups of people who have really uh, loved our sausages so far is is like, parents with young families. Hmm. And so, you know, talk about socializing veggies. Yeah. Let's say your child is not so into veggies, but really is into sausages. Uh, we, we've seen tons of consumers um, whose family kind of look and eat that way. Uh, and so it's a great way to kind of give their kids sweet potato or squash or kale, but in, in a really familiar form. Yeah, super cool. And I, again, I love the part of the mission too. That's also just about maybe sneaking in a couple extra servings of veggies where you might not find them. That's, that's actually been a personal frustration I've had, you know, not at home as much because, you know, I get my imperfect box. And so we have a good amount of fruits and vegetables around the house. But when I go out to eat, it's, it's always remarkable to me how hard it can be to get vegetables at a restaurant like they generally don't come with the main thing. You like have to specifically order them and it's kind of shockingly often a side, you know what I mean? It's like a side or a salad, but it's not really part of the main thing. So I love this principle of your company that vegetables should be literally at the center of your plate. Like they should be integrated into the main dish. And that's, that's not weird. That's actually normal. That's healthy and, and delicious. Wow. Well said. Absolutely. Couldn't yeah. agree more. 
not to mention the next time you're in Brooklyn, we'll, we can point you in the direction of some restaurants that, that also incorporate veggies quite well. So Amazing. I'm always on the lookout. I mean, I think the good news, I do think this this is changing, but I am still surprised even you know, here in the Bay Area, which likes to think of itself as a very progressive veggie-centric uh, diet. You know, food world, it, it can also, there's a lot of places that seem kind of stuck in time in terms of it's like meat and potatoes and cheese and you know all of those are delicious but in terms of like your health and the planet's health like maybe not the direction we need to be going <laughs> totally awesome you know i think a lot of meat is making the news again right now you know we're recording this in june uh you know covid19 is still here and a reality and has really shaken up our food supply chain in a pretty disruptive way you know a lot of folks have heard about these meat shortages due to disruptions you know caused by covid you know uh, meat packing plants have been hit hard you know pork plants are closing due to outbreaks you know let's start by saying uh, by asking rather, has this affected your supply chains at Misfit or has that, you know, been, are those different supply chains? I mean, I guess you're sourcing chicken and I feel like pork makes the news, but w- what's been your experience of COVID, you know, as a food manufacturer? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I, I think similar to a lot of folks, we've felt the impact of COVID certainly personally, you know, both of us are sitting here in our respective apartments in Brooklyn rather than, you know, in our office. As a company and in our supply chain, we've seen, I would say, less of the impact versus what has been highlighted in the news. Yep. You know, a big reason for that, number one, is, is us sourcing chicken, but also working with smaller processors and, and uh-huh. producers. Uh, and the large outbreaks of COVID cases have, have been concentrated in you know, the massive, massive processors of pork and beef. And I think that's been a real eye-opener, right? Which is to say that you know, our, our food system impacts not just consumers' health, but also the health of our planet and the health of people involved in getting our food to us. And so when we talk about sustainability, we need to be talking not just about environmental sustainability, but also human sustainability. And, and so I think for us, it's been a real reaffirmation of this need for, for Americans to eat less meat and also better meat. Hmm. That's super interesting. I, th- I think, yeah, I had a similar read on like when I started to see these stories in the news of, you know, meat shortages imminent. Obviously, it's like a catchy headline because it's so shocking. Uh, but my first thought was that, yeah, in some level, we have this like really big but kind of clunky system of meat production where, yeah, it's these huge industrial facilities, which are like not great for the animals or the people working there. And they're, you know, problematic on a couple levels. And then they're also remarkably uh, fragile, like that, you know, one of these big plants goes down and suddenly it's like, you know, this whole metro area, this whole region even is, is facing, um, you know, price spikes and shortages. And I guess I'm wondering, wondering aloud talking through this all, like for you two, you know, what do you think a more resilient or sustainable um, meat system would look like, you know, if meat is going to be a part of our diet mix, like what, where would you like to see the meat industry go? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it looks different on a couple of levels, right? And, and it's certainly a question that we need to be asking of ourselves. On the consumer side, this idea of eating less and better meat is, you know, I think central. On the supply chain side of things, you know, 80% of beef supply is controlled by four companies. Whoa. That is remarkably consolidated, right? And so I think American producers, workers, consumers could all benefit from having, um, yeah, I guess when it comes down to it, a less consolidated supply chain. And most folks never have to think about that 
uh, when they look at the, the meat in their grocery store or, or on their tables. But, you know, I think one of the few um, positive outcomes of, of this pandemic is hopefully that we can um, make some positive change in, in that realm, at least. Yeah. That's super interesting. The, the consolidation point is, is one you see in a lot of industries, but yeah, especially in food and it's like, it's kind of this hidden problem as it's like not a problem until something goes wrong. And then you're just aware of like, Oh wow. Like this is uh, in the hands of very few. And yeah, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't strike me as a terribly resilient system, you know, as prolific and powerful as it is, it's also remarkably prone to disruption. And I think that was a takeaway for a lot of us from, from COVID, especially at the start was like our food system was a lot more precarious than anyone thought it was, or at least anyone from the outside. You know, I think people that had been in food for a while or writing about food for all, you know, were raising alarm bells back in the nineties. But uh, for the rest of us, just casual consumers were like, Oh yeah, it's fine. Like I can get strawberries in January. It's working great. Uh, And then, you know, once the supply chains are disrupted, your, your eyes kind of get opened up. Yeah, a hundred percent. Not to mention, we're just so reliant on the folks who are who are making that food for us, right? Yeah. And so when they start to get sick, uh, especially in large numbers, that's when we realize exactly just how much of a service um, that they're doing for us. Yeah, that's that's really well said. I think that was another kind of hidden part of the food, or not not even hidden. It shouldn't be hidden. It should never have been hidden. But the fact that like literally there are there people are needed to like be plucking the chickens and you know breaking down sides of beef and pork and stuff for you to have them in supermarkets. Like this is a very human uh, intensive system uh, to get meat to your table. So, and I think on some level, those meat, uh, packers were invisible to us as a society, which is kind of remarkable given they're central to feeding us. And yet it takes a bunch of them getting sick to be like, Oh wow, they're working in pretty tough conditions, like elbow to elbow and, you know, not getting paid a ton. And like, they don't have a ton of job security. And, you know, a lot of them are immigrants or refugees or, you know, people of color. And it's like, it brings up all these other issues in our food system that were, I guess, uh, they, they weren't visible or weren't top of mind, but perhaps should have been, right? Completely. Yeah, it, it's certainly not a new problem, but it is one that hopefully, you know, we, we can get some more critical consciousness around to, to act on. Yeah. You know, I we had, we, it's funny, like, this is whole thing's making me think, like, we had uh, had conversations with our supply team. You know, we, we talk with them all the time on marketing, and it's always remarkable to me how precarious the world of even just fruits and vegetables are. Like, you know, I'll be getting Slack messages or emails that's like, oh, you know, the avocado market's totally screwed because, you know, diesel prices in this region of Mexico just spiked, or strawberries just got hit by a heat wave, so there's about to be a bunch on the market this week, and then none for, like, a month. And it's always struck me that, like, this this system has been, you know, days or hours away from chaos as long as I've known about it, you know, working to learn more about fruits and vegetables. And yet the public doesn't know. It's, it's, it's this weird disconnect of like, the system was always chaotic. I think what it, it's just what COVID has shown that it, it yeah, it's, it's, it was closer to the edge than we thought, which is like sobering and kind of sad. But I think that's, that, that can also be an empowering realization, I think. Um, right? Like, what do you two think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think what you're talking about, you know, if you're speaking to growers and farmers, they know exactly how risky and and just straight up challenging um, that profession is. Um, but like you said, they're, you know, the stewards of our land. Um, yeah. And that is just so critical. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of consumers, you know, or the average American has just been pulled further and further away from that. Um 
but in in times like this, you know, uh, that becomes a little bit more clear when things are being disrupted. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, in general, you know, just really wanting to highlight and support, again, food producers, you know, up and down from growers to processors um, is very important. And just to educate ourselves on that. Um, Because then we might not be so frustrated when strawberries aren't available in in February. Um, And we look for some awesome winter squash or something. I think, you know, right, honestly, we could nerd out about this for hours, if not days. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the one thing I take heart from, certainly we don't have all the answers, um, but but we're looking for, you know, we, we're more than happy to throw our weight behind those who, who do find the answers. But I think the one thing I take heart from is the fact that, like, food is a universal thing, right? You know, yeah. we're, we're all eating three times a day, seven days a week, um, so long as we have the means. And so, you know, every time that we... Um, you know, are eating food, buying food, there's an opportunity to shift the system even just a little bit uh, toward more resiliency and, and more equity. Uh, and, and that's, um, you know, the kind of the founding principle of Misfit and, and frankly, of Imperfect as well. So, um, you know, hopefully you can make, start making those decisions uh, for the better. Well said. Yeah. Every, yeah, every act of eating is, is a political act and we do all have the, the power to shape the types of things we want to see in the world by what we're buying, what we're eating, what type of producers we're supporting. Uh, definitely super true and ring, rings true with me as well at Imperfect. Um, I'm curious to hear, you know, what's next for you as a company? Yeah, um, we've got a lot of really exciting plans. I mean, obviously we have our, our line of sausages that are you know, half chicken, half veggies. And so we've got some new flavors coming out of those as well as some new varietals of our existing flavors. So Dave mentioned that we have a squash Italian uh, and we're releasing... Um, uh, a line of uh, with kaboka squash. Uh, oh, yum! Really love the the texture as well as the sweetness that that imparts. So um, yeah, very excited about that. And then kind of beyond sausages, we really do see sausages as the starting point rather than the finish line. Uh, so one day, hopefully sooner than later, uh, you'll see an entire family of misfit products, whether it's um, you know a beet kimchi burger or Thai curry carrot meatballs or um, butternut squash, chicken nuggets. Um, mm. You know, we're we're definitely chasing after uh, you know that entire platform. So cool! I love that you're interweaving uh, vegetables and all sorts of other parts of of the plate, and in a really elegant way. That's so neat. Like sausages are just the beginning. Yeah, and to kind of you know add on the the our community entrepreneurship kind of ethos is definitely still strong um so feedback product ideas thoughts just like fun yeah we want to hear that from our customers um people who you know believe in what we're doing and and love our products to be honest um i know that there's a lot of um imperfect um yeah uh, subscribers out there that that are that so we want to hear from you for sure Love that getting the community involved and in, in shaping the future. It's super important. And yeah, that, you know, just like you said, Phil, that uh, what we buy supports the type of food system we want to see. Also our words, you know, what we're demanding from our favorite markets, our favorite producers, like trust me as someone who's had to read thousands of social media comments and learned a ton about what people want and demand. Like I'm listening. I know other people are listening. 
Uh, and yeah, this is how the conversation moves is by what people are asking for. So I just, I love that. That's integral to your DNA as a company. Absolutely. Amazing. That that's like what a, what a lovely note to end on. Power to the people and and request the type of food uh, you want to see in the world. I'd love to get to our speed round questions, which are just some fun closers to get to know you two a bit better and uh, cover anything we didn't cover earlier. Let's you guys ready? It. Amazing. Okay. Um, first off, is there anything you would encourage folks listening to explore or follow up with uh, in on their own time? Gosh, I mean, recording this in June, um, you know, I think it's impossible and, and even irresponsible to ignore uh, the conversation around racial justice in this country. And so, you know, believing that small actions up to big change, um, you know, we're asking ourselves and would love for everyone else to ask how we can use our food dollars to make the food system uh, more equitable and, and, you know, specifically along racial lines. Yeah, really well said. We're having those conversations at Imperfect right now as well. And I'm happy to link some resources in the show notes. And if, if you guys have any as well, um, there's a ton of great starting points and folks much wiser than I that have spelled out ways that we can make our food system more equitable. So no, I, I appreciate you bringing, bringing that up. Um, what is a positive change you've made in your life in the past year that you think that folks listening should try? Yeah. Um, actually, both Phil and I are a part of a bean club. That means we get, uh, yeah, I think quarterly shipments of a box of beans. <laughs> and it has honestly just been amazing. Um, we've been a part of this club uh, separately, but kind of started around the same time for, I think, about the past year. Um, and yeah, it's just honestly opened my eyes to just the amazing variety and flavor of beans. And that kind of like circles back to that protein conversation. But love beans um and i that's just been something that's really brought me a lot of joy and i just feel good about in the in the past year uh and it's specifically rancho gordo's bean club so Ooh. shout out rancho gordo um their, their beans rock my world yep Thank you so much for bringing that up. I'm now going to have to look them up and probably subscribe myself. Uh, I'm totally on team bean. It's just such a great source of protein and wow. fiber and they go well in so many different dishes and there's so many varieties. I mean, I'm just curious, Dave, has, has there been any in particular you've discovered that you're like, wow, why didn't I know about this one earlier? Wow. Really put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> you didn't I sign up like... for a bean podcast. <laughs> I feel like Phil and I were honestly just talking about that this, oh this morning. And yeah. so he he definitely had a favorite. So yeah. I'm going to pass that. Oh, I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. Royal Coronas. Hmm. Uh, they, yeah, I, I mean, you can just eat them with olive oil and salt. It's, they're so flavorful and, um, yeah, creamy that, that you really just don't need much to put on them. Amazing. Wow. That's so cool. Thank you for that recommendation. Super helpful. If you're cooking for somebody and you want to make them feel loved, what are you going to make for them? Uh, it's a labor of love for sure. I, I try to make gnocchi, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. Dave, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is kind of a staple for the question, but first thing that came to mind to me was lasagna. Um, I'm just as, as my other meal suggestions earlier in the, the conversation, like I'm, I love casseroles and like put it all in one, um, you know, 
so yeah, I just love a big lasagna and I just load it with vegetables. I feel like I, I don't usually don't stick to recipes. I usually add as much tasty things that are in my fridge as possible. Yum. That's the way to cook, in my opinion. That's, that sounds so good. I'm, I'm getting really hungry. It's like lunchtime here. We're <laughs> recording this. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, what ingredient could you not live without? Um, gosh, I feel like these questions are also like what is in front of me right now. But I have just been recently, and I don't know if I want to admit this. I feel like it's been like almost taboo, but I love mayo. I just am a huge fan of, of mayonnaise. So I honestly, I mean, there's a lot of things I couldn't live without. Um, and mayo, I certainly could live without, but it has just been added to my meals on the regular, I feel like, the past month. So I have to give a shout out to mayo. Um, this is less an ingredient than food, but coffee is truly something I couldn't live without. So there you have it. Not respect. It's it's an ingredient as well, an ingredient for for productivity and happiness for many. <laughs> Not an honest answer. Um, what is your least favorite thing to waste? Wow, I mean, at risk of of being trite, definitely meat, right? I mean, just knowing how many resources go into making meat, it just breaks my heart to see it go to waste. And honestly, I have to follow up with just a plus one on that. Um, I, yeah. It's just no contest for me. Um, definitely. Um, yeah. Least favorite thing to waste is definitely meat. Yeah. I think both of you would be heartened to know that in my experience, that is increasingly the top answer when I ask this question in the podcast. I think, nice. for, yeah. So you're, you're doing the right thing in terms of finding ways to value meat, you know, eat less, eat higher quality. I think it's moving the needle in the right direction. And yeah, the, the top answer for a long time used to be herbs, which is its own separate struggle of uh, wasting <laughs> herbs. But yeah, I think, I think meat just from a research standpoint, like, yeah, folks are feeling it for sure. What is your go-to karaoke song? Wait, Riley, you have to go first on this one. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I, You're I, asking the question. You got to answer. I know. No, well, I, I think about this a lot, and I feel like I ping pong. Okay, I think um, I'll share the one I always play um, when my friends and I first arrived to get everyone singing, which is uh, Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Nice. If you, I, I like to do the karaoke where everyone's in one room together. So, you know, it's like not you're performing in front of a bar of strangers. It's like you and your buddies in a room. And for me, Iris is one of these just like feel good, uh, guilty pleasure 90s jams that everyone somehow knows the words to. And it's so emotional. And the chorus is just so over the top. It's, it's a good time. I love it. Dave, what's your, what's your go-to? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I also go back to the nineties. Um, every time I'm, I'm doing karaoke, I, and I also ping pong between two, uh, don't speak, um, and waterfalls. Um, I just feel like I, I'm not a particularly good singer or good at karaoke, but I feel like there was a period, um, where some songs, songs stuck in my head and it certainly was the nineties. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I don't, I don't really karaoke all that much, but maybe I should start karaokeing. If I, if I were, I'd probably go with What is Love by Hathaway. Oh, wow. Strong <laughs> choice. Can you get I a don't... few lines, Riley? 
<laughs> that'll have to be a separate podcast okay. i um it's funny now that i don't think i know any of the words to that song other than the chorus I, uh, to me it's just a chorus that never that's all ends. you need <laughs> yeah amazing uh who is somebody you admire tremendously and what do you admire about them gosh i mean i i would say i definitely admire my dad which again is, is probably a trite answer, but you know, my parents both came to this country um, when they were pretty young and, and my dad came really not knowing anyone. Um, so frankly, he doesn't really know what we're up to at Misfit all that much. Cause he's, yeah, I think he's a little confused as to why we went from making juice to sausages, but uh, in other ways, I think he did the, the most entrepreneurial thing you can do and coming to this country by himself. Awesome. Yeah. Um, gosh, really good question. Um, and I feel like, you know, something that we often think about, um, internally as a team at Misfit, um, weekly. Um, and yeah, I think it's for me, I just have really been, I think in the past two weeks, especially just admire like the people right around me in my neighborhood. Um, I've just seen so many people step up, um, and, you know, really talk about what matters to them, why, and, and not be afraid. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's not one specific person, um, that I'm thinking about, but it's just generally the community that, um, Phil and I are in, in Brooklyn. Um, and yeah, just have tons of admiration for the, the entire collective. That's super cool. You know, Phil, I love what you said that, yeah, that coming to this country, kind of not knowing anyone that is kind of the ultimate entrepreneurial act. I think that's so admirable and important to think about that. That, that is such a huge risk, like going somewhere you don't know anyone, you don't know necessarily what you're going to do for work. And yeah, that's, that's so tremendously brave and, and, and yeah, just, a, yeah. What a, what a cool figure to have in your life. And then I love this Brooklyn sentiment. I've been getting a lot of images from my brother recently from Brooklyn. Uh, and it's just, it's heartening to see what it's like on the ground. You know, he's been sending me, for example, uh, there's like a, a dance party that happens on his street, like almost every night now, like someone, someone with like DJ equipment and speakers comes out and everyone on the block comes out like everyone, all different ages, all different backgrounds, everyone's just dancing together on the street, which I just think, especially these days, we all need more of. I love that. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about too. I won't um, blow up that spot, but <laughs> it, is, it is fantastic. Um, yeah. Kind of around, it's like, it's, it's the evening time. It's right at 7 p.m. usually. So cool. Keep it up, Brooklyn. Any Brooklyn listeners, keep up the dancing. We need it now more than ever. Um, and closing it out, uh, what are you grateful for this week? Yeah, I love this question. I'm so glad that you asked um, your guest this. Um, yeah, I've just been really honestly recently thinking about how just grateful I am for the people who yeah, just our movement builders. And I think that can be from, you know, social justice issues to food waste to climate change. And just knowing that like, it is a long process. Um, and especially early on, you know, it is probably, it just is very challenging throughout, but especially in the beginning and early stages of like building a movement. Um, and gosh, I'm just so, 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 so grateful for people who dedicate their lives and their time and just resources and, and what they do to like building movements that 
ultimately, you know, all of us on this podcast and everyone, you know, listening get to benefit from. And so, yeah, just, wow. So grateful for that, you know, that work. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, um, hard to be, you know, where we are and not feel the same way as Dave, just cause like, you know, at like 1130 last night, um, you know, there's a group of protesters who are walking past my apartment. And I think that level of energy and dedication is exactly the sort of reminder that, um, you know, all of us need that, that there's lots of work to be done. Uh, so yeah, grateful for the folks who are, um, getting out there and, um, yeah, letting us all know about, about what needs to be done. Amazing. Super well said. Yeah. A long road ahead, uh, for food justice, for social justice, for a lot of types of justice, environmental justice. Um, but you know, we're, we're going to need more folks like you two to get there. So I'm, I'm so grateful for the work you're doing and yeah, just keep it up. And I'm really excited to see where misfit, uh, goes from here. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can folks learn more about you and the work that you do? Yeah. Um, well, certainly if, uh, you subscribe to Imperfect and, and get your box, you know, you can certainly uh, try our products. Um, and then you can go to misfitfoods.com. Yeah. Read about us, learn about, um, the products that we have and, and certainly definitely please reach out. We love, um, getting emails, ideas, like, like we said, that kind of community entrepreneurship is a big part of who we are. So speak up. Awesome. And we'll have links to everything we talked about today in the show notes and on our website, unwastedpodcast.com. That includes, I'll be sure to throw in your uh, favorite karaoke songs. If anyone wants to listen to what these two would <laughs> built to a room of friends or strangers. And if you have any questions or comments, shoot us an email at feedback at unwastedpodcast.com. Phil and Dave, thank you so much for joining. It's been a true pleasure. Thanks for thank having you. us, Riley.